Welcome to everybody. Glad you're here tonight. Merry Christmas to everybody. We're going to have a, really a great time singing Christmas carols and hearing a great Christmas message and having the symbolism of candles later on and the symbolism of the children coming in childlike faith before, the, before Jesus and uh, the nativity scene. Uh, let's start by standing up together, all together, and welcoming God to our time together tonight, and we'll start with some worship and singing. Father, we praise you for the opportunity to join with millions and millions of Christians all over the world through this Christmas Eve and Christmas Day in the next 24 hours. We praise you, God, for a chance to do this with your whole family all over the world. This day, we're all praising you for sending your son, for the incarnation, sending your son as a baby to be our savior. So bless us as we worship you tonight, God, and may the realities of the saving work of Jesus go deep into our hearts as we praise you and hear your word. In your name we pray, amen. Feel welcome just to stand for the first song and then just after that be seated whenever you'd like. But let's uh, start by standing and worshiping together. Here we go.
David Mickelson will be coming and sharing from the Word tonight, Christmas message, before we have our candlelight time, lighting time. So welcome, David. Always a good word from David Mickelson. Here he is. Thank you, Jason. Perfect. Couldn't have done it better myself. That was so beautiful. Thank you, worship team. That was wonderful. really appreciated that. And the kids were nice, too. I always think I should have the star costume on, but nobody ever asked me. Well, you know, if you were here this morning, that Amy Knapp just gave birth to a beautiful baby girl, Adelaide Jasmine Knapp. And Marty told me this morning that the other siblings got to pick her middle name. I thought that was beautiful. And you know, that fit into my sermon so well, I had to bring it up. I wonder how Amy would have felt if all her extended family and neighbors crowded into that maternity ward, everybody talking all at once about what the child's name should be, and then without even asking Amy, telling her what they were going to name the child. Do you think she would like that? Look at this with me. Luke 1:59. We're not to Jesus yet. This is the forerunner of Jesus' birth. This is John the Baptist. And remember that his father, Zechariah, currently can't speak because he doubted the message Gabriel gave him. So listen to this. So it was on the eighth day that they came to circumcise the child, and they would have called him by the name of his father, Zechariah, or Zacharias in the King James, his uh, his father, Zechariah, lost my place here. But his mother answered and said, No, he shall be called John. But they said to her, There is no one among your relatives who is called by this name. So they made signs to his father what he would have him called. Which is really weird because he wasn't deaf, he was mute. And you don't need to make signs to a deaf person. They could have just asked him, What do you want to name him? They're like, Oh, just ask him what do you want to name him come on guys and he asked for a writing tablet and he wrote saying his name is John so they all marveled immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue loosed and he spoke praising God then fear came on all who dwelt around them and all these sayings were discussed throughout all the hill country of Judea you know what I see when I read this story I see a bunch of meddling busybodies Sure, they mean well, but what is going on? They try to name her son without even asking her. And when she tells them the name, they actually try to argue with her. No, you can't name him that. We're going to ask the father what he thinks with a bunch of weird signs. Goodness gracious. Just, I mean, it feels like some of these people need to be slapped. Just let the mom name the kid. There's a reason I bring this up. I want to give an impression of what first century Jewish culture was. With its strengths, there's obviously a lot of strengths here, community spirit, they're very involved, you know, family and village and so on, and also some real weaknesses. Because I'm not sure everybody grasps exactly what a predicament Mary found herself in with her own pregnancy. For better or worse, your neighbors and extended family are highly involved, nosy, They think they know best, 
and they have extremely strict rules with harsh punishments for misbehavior. Let's look briefly at Mary's story, and we'll pick up the threads with Gabriel appearing to her with big news. This is Luke 1.28. The angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one, the Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. But when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying, and considered what manner of greeting this was. Then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb, and bring forth a son, and shall call his name Jesus. He will be great, and will be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. Moving on to verse 38, here's Mary's response. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me as you have said. Then the angel left her. Now, the angel said, Rejoice, highly favored one, the Lord is with you. But make no mistake, the message was a gigantic disruption to her life. Not without good reason did Mary feel troubled by Gabriel's greeting. At this time, as you know, Mary was engaged to be married to Joseph. And if she was the typical age for engagement in first century Judaism... Uh, For a girl, she would have been about 15 or 16 years old. You know, they did engagements a bit different back then. Uh, For one thing, marriages were arranged by the fathers of the bride and the groom. And if the couple had any influence at all over the marriage, it was only if the fathers chose to listen to them. They didn't have to. Especially in the case of a woman, once the dad arranged the marriage, that was it. She had no choice but to marry him. And a betrothal in that time and place was in some ways the equivalent of how we see marriage today. The relationship wasn't consummated, but if a young woman was found to be with child by another man during her engagement, it was counted as adultery. They didn't say, oh well, at least they weren't married yet. No, they said she has committed adultery against her husband. She could have been, and very typically would have been, stoned to death as an adulteress. I can hardly imagine a more grim way to end my life than to have all my friends and family and all the people in Medford gathered around me, everyone I know circling around me, their faces contorted in anger, throwing stones until I die. But that's what they did at that time. And perhaps Mary, as part of village life in Nazareth, had seen that happen before to others. But now Mary finds herself with child while she was betrothed and while the marriage was still months and months away. If they had been just a few days away from the wedding, people would have assumed the baby was Joseph's once she began to show, but it was apparently was going to be a long engagement. So what is Mary supposed to do? Who was going to believe her that she hadn't cheated on Joseph? What would Joseph say? This has to be going through her mind. What would her parents say? What about Joseph's parents? What about all these nosy, highly involved, meddling neighbors that we've been reading about? And the teachers of the law, the scribes, the Pharisees, people who have been charged solemnly by the law of Moses to stone people caught in adultery. This was the world Mary lived in when Gabriel showed up out of nowhere and told her, Rejoice! You're pregnant! Bye! Think of any 15 or 16 year olds you know. God bless them. How would they handle, at that young age, having to grapple with these kind of issues? I don't blame Mary for traveling dozens of miles 
to visit her, sister, her cousin Elizabeth for three long months during this time. Kind of get away from all of it. And Luke, who carefully, we're told, researched all these things and almost certainly interviewed an older Mary decades later and found the story out, records Mary's reaction when she meets her cousin. What did Mary say amidst all of this emotional turmoil and upheaval she must have been going through? It records it in verse 46b. She says this, My soul magnifies the Lord. I love that. My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. You know, Mary wasn't the only one who experienced anguish at this particular way of heaven invading earth. What about Joseph? Think of it from his perspective. He's probably a little older, some say 20s. Young 20s would have been a normal age for a man to marry at this time. Others say late 20s or young 30s. He's out of the picture by the time Jesus is 30, so he might have been older. Whatever his age, he was no doubt very pleased to find himself engaged to a young, beautiful woman. And now this. She's pregnant. She couldn't even wait for the wedding night. So he thinks. She ran around and got herself pregnant by some other guy, he believes. Joseph is heartbroken, angry, tempted to bitterness. All his hopes and dreams for their future vanish in a puff of smoke. He's humiliated. She's preferred some other guy to him. Everybody is going to find out about it if they don't already know. How easy to get revenge. One word from him and she would pay. But Matthew tells us, being a righteous man, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. He still loves her, even though she appears to have treated him with contempt, so he believes. In the Old Testament, the person who rushes to impose swift justice was the righteous man. Remember Numbers 25 when a Levite fetches a spear and starts stabbing people who are engaged in sexual sin. He was the hero of that chapter. But here, Joseph is described as righteous because he chose mercy. He was already operating under the principles of the new covenant, the new covenant that was inside his fiancée's womb, though he didn't yet know the true nature of that child. After the angel appeared to Joseph and told him, don't divorce her, you know, this child is from God, marry her. And I like to think that when Joseph came to Mary and said, okay, all right, I believe you. I believe you now. Can we be friends again? I like to think that she gave him one of the most well-deserved, I told you so, of all time. You know what word keeps coming up in Luke and even in Matthew through all this when you read this Christmas story? Joy. Joy and rejoice appear seven times in the first two chapters of Luke and overjoyed in Matthew. Joy is a theme of the Christmas story. Look, for all Mary's troubles and Joseph's troubles, no one was more disrupted by the advent than Jesus himself. There are no words in English or any language that can capture how much humility it took for God himself to leave heaven's throne to become a human baby in a smelly manger. There's no words for such a thing. They say the stars were silent over Bethlehem that night. It wasn't just the stars. All of heaven, every angel, all of God's heavenly beings must have stood in awe and wonder that God became a human baby. 
And what was Jesus' motivation? What does Scripture tell us? For the joy set before him. For the joy set before him. Joy amidst disruption. Joy amidst shocking humility. Joy amidst trouble and difficulty. Joy unspeakable and full of glory. The joy was you and me. That he got to save us and he gets to spend eternity with us if we'll accept him. That's why he did it. You know, the Father is still calling us. Like he called Mary, like he called Joseph. Strange as it may sound, his message to you is not very different when you think about it. From his message to Mary. Do not be afraid, for you have found favor with God. Will you play the part I've set aside for you? And like Mary, we have a choice. We can say, no way, I like my life without you just fine. Or we can say like Mary, be it unto me according to your word, O Lord. Mark my words, Mary would not have ended, would not have traded being the mother of Jesus Christ for anything. And Joseph was blessed to be the earthly father of God's Messiah. Yes, it's clear when you think about it, birthing and raising (laughs) Jesus Christ disrupted their quiet little lives in a big way. Jesus rocked their boat. Jesus rocks our boat. It can even feel like he can overturn the boat sometimes. But he also teaches us how to walk on water. Jesus Christ will disrupt your life. It may feel at times like bringing him into our lives costs us everything. But once we experience his goodness, we realize something. It's worth it. It's worth it. The more we get to know him, the more we realize that everything he gave... Everything that we give up for him is, as Paul says, he uses a very blunt word, trash, compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing him. The surpassing greatness of knowing the God who loved us so much that he left his heavenly throne to endure the humility of the manger and the agony of the cross. For the joy set before him, that was you, I practiced this so that I wouldn't get all blubbery up here, and I still did. (laughs) I want to end this message with a true story about faith and courage at Christmas time, even amidst great danger. And if you'll humor me, I have prepared some video clips. Well, I've stolen them from YouTube, so they're going to accompany this short story, so we can play that now. You know, in the 1960s, the Soviet Union had advanced technologically ahead of the United States in many ways. They put the first satellite into orbit. They put the first man into orbit. The media was full of reports that the Soviets had bigger bombs and more missiles than us, and communism was spreading all over the world from South America to Southeast Asia. Written on the wall of the House of Representatives, Science, Space, and Technology Committee is a scripture. Where there is no vision, the people perish. In 1961, President Kennedy laid out a vision for the American people, that the United States would put a man on the moon by the end of the decade. I know you know all this already. This vision itself seemed to be perishing when in 1967, the crew of Apollo 1 was tragically killed in a fire. The next year, the uncrewed Apollo 6 mission crashed and burned. Meanwhile, the Soviets planned to send a man to the moon by the end of 1968. NASA responded, 
aggressively, even recklessly, by bringing its own schedule forward and cutting out several test flights. The plan was now to move directly to a manned orbit of the moon using equipment that had never yet succeeded in any test. At a time when no one had ever flown more than 850 miles above the Earth, NASA planned to leapfrog 240,000 miles to the moon. Critical components were not ready. The Saturn V rocket had never flown with a crew, and its last mission had failed. Mission control was not set up. Software had not been written. Trajectories were not yet understood, and few knew how to even calculate those. Once in lunar orbit, Apollo 8 had only a single engine, which would need to regularly fire up to adjust course if the astronauts were to return to Earth. At that time, the engine had never succeeded in any test in space. If it failed, now the crew would be lost forever. Even more worrisome for NASA, the astronauts would be in lunar orbit on Christmas Day. Any failure would ruin Christmas for the entire nation. Let's watch. On Christmas Eve, Frank Borman, Jim Lovell, and Bill Anders were the first humans to orbit the moon and the first humans to see an Earth rise above the moon's surface. As they orbited the moon, they made their last broadcast before attempting to reignite their single engine to return home. This broadcast was seen or heard by one out of every four people on the Earth, including the people behind the Soviet Union's Iron Curtain, where Christmas was still illegal. This was their message. For all the people back on Earth, the crew of Apollo 8 has a message that we would like to send to you. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters, and God said, let there be light, and there was light, and God saw the light, that it was good, and God divided the light from the darkness. And God called the light day, and the darkness he called night, and the evening and the morning was the first day. And God said, let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters, let it divide the waters from the waters. And God made the firmament, and divided the waters which were under the firmament from the waters which were above the firmament, and it was so. And God called the firmament heaven. And the evening and the morning was the second day. God said, let the waters under the heaven be gathered together into one place, and let the dry land appear, and it was so. And God called the dry land earth, and the gathering together of the waters called these seas. And God saw that it was good. And from the crew of Apollo 8, we close with good night, good luck, a Merry Christmas, and God bless all of you, all of you on the good earth.
from all of us at New Song to you. We close with Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. God bless you. And now we get to bless God with one more candlelit song. Wow. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. Life and light. Fire is a symbol of the presence of God in the Old Testament. Fire appeared on Mount Sinai. The children of Israel and Moses. It was a pillar of fire by day, pillar pillar of fire by night, pillar of cloud by day. There was a burning bush, Moses. In the New Testament, John the Baptist said, Jesus will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire with the presence of God and the presence of God. Double statement for emphasis. Really, really good. Tongues of fire on the day of Pentecost, the presence of God. I want to invite you in response to this word that David shared, that the life, Jesus Christ, is always coming towards us, moving towards us. And he's moving to you in your particular set of circumstances, worries, concerns, fears, successes, relationship issues, health, whatever's going on. He's always moving towards you with life and light to show you the way and to give you life. He loves you. You matter to him. He's always in a good mood towards you. And he wants, he wants you to respond to his love for you. There could be someone here today that isn't, doesn't have the light of Jesus' life in them yet. I just invite you to just say a simple prayer as we sing this next song to uh, ask him to come into your life, come into your heart. Say it in your own way. He will. He'll respond. And then before you leave the building today, tell somebody that you did that. Because he says, if you confess me before people, I'll confess you before the angels of God in heaven. The light is to be shared. The shepherds couldn't keep still about what they'd seen. We're going to do that, this in that symbolism form of sharing the light. The light is spread to over a billion people confess Jesus Christ as Lord across the planet. We celebrate as one big billion member family in worship and praise tonight and tomorrow. So we'll just invite you to share the light with the person next to you. Children, be careful not to set your mother's hair on fire. And let's be careful not to spill wax if we can. And as we're Sharing the light with each other here, let's sing this silent night song, shall we? If you're able, we invite you to stand as you're lighting your candles as we sing silent night together.
Father, we ask your blessing on all of us and our families this evening and tomorrow and next week and into the new year. We ask your blessing on every single person. And we say amen to everybody's prayers that they're calling on you for help with. We pray for an ever-increasing revelation of your beauty and your glory and your meaning and the satisfaction of knowing you, the deep, deep fulfillment that comes from knowing you in a personal way. May it increase for us and all of our families. And may this Christmas be the best ever for everybody and the new year be filled with blessings in every way for everybody here and our families. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. Well, thank you for being with us tonight. And uh, you feel welcome to... To stay in fellowship, we have cider and some cookies and some decaf coffee, I think, back there. If you'd like to hang out and visit, we'd love to have you do that. God bless you as you go. Merry, Merry Christmas to everybody.